Well, that's one thing the enemy don't want you to do is be still and know that he's God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and open with Psalm 46. I think God's dropping that in my spirit. Hallelujah. Uh, Tonight, one of the things that uh, we want to make sure that you're aware of as well before we begin, I forgot to make an announcement today, uh, but we are going to do baptisms next Sunday. Um, So we have a couple of people in line to be baptized And if you're wanting to join the parade of people that are getting water baptized on next Sunday, it's a great way to celebrate Easter. Amen. I mean, the best way to celebrate Easter is, you know, to be saved. Second best way, be water baptized. Amen. Third best, be Holy Ghost baptized. Amen. Next best thing would be to go to glory. Amen. Amen. I remember Brother Bill, he used to help out in pastoring here before I came. Uh, Brother Bill Wadsworth, he uh, went to glory on Easter Sunday afternoon. Yeah. He was preaching at a little country church south of here. Preached that morning, went home that afternoon, went in his backyard and went to glory. How about that? Amen. Preach that morning, eat lunch, go in your backyard, shut the backyard door and open heaven's door. Amen. Hallelujah. So anyways, it's a great opportunity we have. Uh, he was a great man of God. He was over the, uh, he was over the, the prisons for Bozier Parish whenever I was preaching out there in the prisons. So I got to know him. Precious man of God. Um, so Psalm 46, we'll open up with Psalm 46. And we're going to get into the word tonight. We are uh, grateful to be here on Palm Sunday Communion for those of you that uh, didn't get a chance to take it yet today or those that need to take it again. It's okay. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, Psalm 46. Let's go ahead and pray and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity just to hear from you once again, Lord. Thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we pray that you would anoint your word, Lord to accomplish all that you desire to accomplish in us. Lord, I pray each and every one of us, Lord, that we would bear our souls before you tonight, that your word would rain down upon us, Lord, that your light would shine in dark places, that you would strengthen the weak places, that you would equip us, Lord, in the places where we need to be equipped. And Lord, we ask tonight for that presence of God in this service. I pray for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And, Lord, we ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that you're speaking to us tonight. And, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, amen. Well, glory to God. So tonight, one of the verses we're going to start out with is in Psalm 46, beginning in verse number 10. You know, this is one of the misquoted verses that you can get. um, A lot of people will use this verse to, to misappropriate some of the things about the Lord. But in this verse, I want to show you something that's pretty significant. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, that's not you speaking. That's God speaking. God's telling you and I to be still and know that he's God. Amen. You know, sometimes in life we have a, we have a tendency to get carried away. 
I was just praying, and you know, I see those currents in the world today. How many of you know that sometimes when you begin to give your ear and your heart to the things of the world, that maybe to news or to politics or, you know, the cares of life, the issues, you got bills coming in, you got bills overdue, you got, you know, people calling, trying to get this and trying to get that, and you got worries that come in. Maybe you get a bad report from the doctor. Maybe you, you don't know how you're going to figure this out or figure that out, but we get these currents like, you know, in the water, they have currents, and they say, you know, in the Red River, that's a strong current in there. It'll just take you under. And, you know, sometimes the currents of life will take out the people of God. If you're not wearing the armor of God, if you're not standing firm in the faith, if you're not standing on the, on the rock of who Jesus is, if you're not prayed up, filled up, and walking in victory that the Lord has for you, the currents of life can sometimes take you downstream. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Sometimes the, the, the enemy can take us downstream and, and send us back. But I want you to know the Lord is telling you something. It's a precious promise. He's telling you. Be still and know that he's God. Being still means sitting upon his promises. Standing upon the rock of who he is. Not being moved to the left and not being moved to the right. But staying steadfast on the rock of who Jesus is. You see, whenever you're still before God, God can speak into your life. You can, you, you, how many of you know that you can, you can be too busy for God? You can be way too busy for God. Ask Martha. Martha was too busy for Jesus. I mean, she was tending to jobs. One old minister said, you know, the devil smiles when you're up to your ears in work, but he fears when the man of God prays. See, you can get up to your ears in work and you can find all kinds of things to keep your hands busy. But just because your hands are busy doesn't mean you're where you need to be in Christ. Some of the most important times that we have before God are when we can steal everything, stop everything, and get our hearts right back where they need to be. I see Mary and Martha represent this in a most beautiful way. Martha was tending to business. She was sweeping. She was cooking. She was taking care of dishes. She was making sure this was done and making sure that was done. And she was doing it all in disobedience. How about that? Amen. How many of you know that you can work yourself into disobedience? It is possible to work yourself into disobedience. You know, Elijah, whenever he was running from Jezebel, he was running and, and he went out to that mountain. He went into that cave and the Lord began to speak to Elijah when he stopped running. He stopped running. He stopped fighting. He stopped working. He stopped everything and he got alone with God in that mountain. And that's when God spoke to him and that what God spoke to him in that still small voice. It wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake. It was in that still small voice. He was able to get a word from God because he finally stopped running. He finally stopped moving. He finally stopped working. And he just sat there before God and then God spoke. And the word that God gave him changed his life. He was ready to die. He told the Lord, take me out. I failed mission. I'm done. How many of you have been in a place like that? Where you just feel like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm just ready to go home. 
I'm just ready to go home. Well, I got news for you. We're not ready for you to go home yet. You'll go home and the Lord's ready to take you home. Until then, you need to get right with God so that you can get into the business that God has for you. It is time for the church to get back into that still, small voice of God, getting that direction back, getting our priorities right. Sometimes the right priority is less work. I'm telling you, sometimes the right priority is less work. So he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth. God is telling you here to know him. To know him, not know about him, to know him. You know that the devil quotes scripture. The devil knows about God, once lived in glory, but he doesn't know God in an intimate way the way that we do, in a communion way, a a, a way of abiding in Christ. And I want to tell you tonight that no matter how much you're working, No matter how much you know in your head and no matter what you've done in the past, nothing can make up for a lack of communing with God. Nothing can make up for a lack of abiding in the vine. Jesus said it that way in John 15. If you abide in him and he in you, you will bear much fruit. But if you don't abide in him, you can't do anything. In other words, If what you do is not done through that abiding relationship with God, anything you do is basically worthless in God's eyes. God's looking for somebody to wait upon him, to be still before him, and to know he's God. Do you know that he's God right now? Do you know that he's God in your life? How many of you need God in your your health? Amen. How many of you need God in your nation? Amen. How many of you need God in your home? How many of you need God in your church? Come on. How many of you need God in between your ears? (laughs) Come on. Sometimes we need to stop and be still and know who our God is. We, We go around and we complain about politics and we complain about the nation and we complain about the things in our life and we complain about our family and we complain and complain and complain instead of stopping and being still before God and knowing who he is. Amen. God is not in a panic right now. They're saying right now that our dollar, our, our money system in America is crashing. Do you think God's worried about that? You think God's biting his fingernails? Oh, we got the wrong guy in in office. Or, oh, we got the wrong people in Congress. And we got the wrong people running the banks. We got the wrong people here and the wrong people there. God's not biting his fingernails. God's not in a panic right now. God's got a plan, not panic. It's it's one of the things that I I believe that the Lord wants us to get into tonight is to know and understand he's got a plan in motion right now. It may look like it may look like the enemy is running this thing, but he's not. God's got a plan and that plan is in motion right now as we speak. Amen. So one of the things I believe that we want to look at here is to be still and know that that he's God. So turn with me with that said into first Peter chapter four. Let's go all the way back into the New Testament right past Hebrews, and let's get into 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. Be still and know that he is God. 
First Peter chapter four. We're going to move down to verse number seven tonight. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. God's way of saying something is about to happen is when he says it's at hand. It's right in front of you. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Under prayer, the all the all things that is coming to an end. I want you to know that the things of the world that we're in right now, the world wants everything to move into a utopia. The world wants everything to move into a place where there's no animosity, or we're all under one world government, or we've all got one monetary system where there's every religion is coexisting and everybody's just hunky dory. The world is aiming for a utopia, but I want you to know that's not going to happen. We're not headed towards utopia. We're headed towards tribulation. We're headed toward cataclysmic events. We're headed towards seals being unleashed on the earth. We're headed towards the bowls and the vials being unleashed on the earth. We're not headed towards utopia. We are headed towards tribulation. Those times are right around the corner. Some people believe that we're already in it. We're not already in it because God's going to take out the church before he pours out the judgment on the earth. Just like he took Noah into the ark before he rained down. Just like he, took the, just like he took Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he rained down fire and brimstone. Just like he's always done. He will remove his people before he brings his judgment. And he is going to bring judgment on the earth. The end of all things is at hand. That means the tribulation is on its way. This earth has rejected God and rejected God and rejected God. And God's going to pour out judgment upon the earth. The end of all things is coming. World leaders can't stop what God's about to do. doesn't matter who gets in office. You, you want to clamor for your right person? You want to, you know, shout out for the right person? They can't stop what's coming. Because the Lord is coming soon. And, and tribulation is going to be coming upon this place. So we see here that world leaders can't stop what is coming because the end is coming. God is calling for the last, the least, and the lost to get right. The last, the least, and the lost to get right with him. Y'all know what that means? That means God's not satisfied. It means that God's not satisfied with where we are. God's not satisfied with where the church is right now. God's not willing that anybody perishes. God's not willing that anybody dies and goes to hell. God's not willing that anyone dies in a state of depression. God's not willing that anybody dies from an overdose of drugs. God's not willing that anybody dies from a sexual disease because they've been sexually immoral. God's not willing that anybody dies and goes to hell. God is sending the church out to the last, the lost, and the least because God cares for souls. And he's sounding out the alarm to the church because the end of all things is at hand. 
It is time for the church to get in on this mission that God has. Because in the twinkling of an eye, everything's going to change. You may think nothing's going to change. You may think that preachers have been preaching this forever and you're just going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be the same. But I'm telling you, the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, everything's going to change. And on that day, you better be right with God. You can think what you want to think about me. You can think what you want to think about the church. But I'm telling you, I don't care. I don't care what you think about me and I don't care what you think about our church. I care about your soul. And you better be right on the day that the trumpet sounds. Because in the twinkling of an eye, you're not going to have time to repent. You're not going to have time to do anything. The twinkling of an eye is faster than the eye blinks. I believe Chuck Missler said it's like one one hundredth of the blink of an eye. That's fast. You won't even know that the trumpet blew. It's just going to blow and everything's going to be different. I don't even think we're going to just realize that we're floating up in the air. We're going to be instantly changed from this corruptible into incorruption. And I'm telling you that there's going to be uh, there's going to be a door shut on some folks. You know that there's ten virgins Jesus talked about in Matthew. Ten virgins and five of them didn't make it because they weren't ready when the bridegroom came. They weren't ready. And you know there's a lot of people today that aren't going to be ready. A lot of people, they go to church, they sit in church, but they're not ready for the bridegroom yet. And you know, the Lord is telling you here, be ready. Ends at hand. The end of it, everything's at hand. God is going to bring judgment on the world. Things are not going to get better. Don't you love this good news? Things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse for the world. They're going to get better for the church. Because in that, in that moment when the, when the trumpet sounds... The cares of this world are going to be no more upon you. But for those that are not right, they will be left behind and they will be fending for themselves in a land of tribulation and torment and torture. It says in this verse, verse number seven, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be ye sober. So God's telling you the end of everything's at hand. This is a serious matter. So start getting sober. Sober from what? Alcohol? Sure. Don't want to take it in a literal sense. This is exactly what it means. Be sober from alcohol. Abstain from alcohol. Doesn't matter what you want to say. Arguments against you. Jesus did not drink wine. Jesus is unfermented. Jesus is unleavened. He is our Passover. Passover is with unleavened bread. There was no leaven found in him. He offered himself as a pure sacrifice. There was no leaven in him. Leaven in the word of God always represents sin. And leaven is what makes uh, grape juice become alcoholic wine. So, yes, abstain from alcohol. We could get into that, but we're we just going to leave that where it is. Just no, God. Yeah, that's part of it, being sober. But, you know, it goes deeper than that. It's not just alcohol. Alcohol is a picture of what God's talking about. How many of you know that you can be intoxicated with the things of the world? You can be intoxicated with the things of life. 
You can be intoxicated with news. You can be intoxicated with, with the stock market. You can be intoxicated with your retirement. You can be intoxicated with friends. You can be intoxicated with sports. You can be intoxicated with video games. You can be intoxicated with doctor's reports. Oh, this doctor said this, and this doctor said this, and this doctor said this, and this doctor said this. Sober up. Look what God says. Sometimes we can get carried away with, with reports from all the other people in the world and not God. And God says, be sober. Abstain from anything that influences you that is not of God. You hear that? Abstain from everything that influences you that is not of God. It'll keep you from being dry and complacent. I want to tell you tonight that God's desire is to keep you from being dry and complacent. Amen? God's desire is to keep you from being dry and complacent. But if you allow the world to influence you, dry and complacent, you will become. You cannot be right with God and full of the world at the same time. If you make, God said it that way. He said, if you make yourself a friend of the world, you've made yourself an enemy of God. You can't have the world and God at the same time. Some of y'all need to make your decision. You're riding the fence. You're riding the fence. Why is it that you are the one that can be the friend of the world and not anyone else and still think that you're right in God's eyes? No. No. See, the, the, the world needs God. The world doesn't need a friend. It's got a friend in Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. And what the world needs is Jesus. Amen? That's what the world needs is Jesus. We have a lot of people that believe that they can, they can get into that gray area. They can play on both sides of the fence. They can do what they want to do and what is right in their own eyes. But I want you to know God's not open for interpretation. He doesn't say, well, look at the word and take it however you want to take it. He doesn't say, well, look at the word of God and, you know, do what you want to do. You know, do what you want to do. God doesn't say that. God said, obey his commandments. He never says for us to do what we want to do. He says, obey my commandments. He's the one that tells you how to live a blessed life. How do you live a blessed life? Obey his commandments. The reason you don't have joy, the reason you don't have the fullness of God anymore, the reason you don't have the joy of the Lord swelling up in your soul like those fountains of living water is because you're not obeying His commandments. Word of God says in Galatians that God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap of the Spirit life everlasting. But if you sow to the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. This is a, a truth and a promise from God. It's like a boomerang. You sow to the Spirit, the Spirit's going to come back to you. You sow to the flesh, guess what's coming back? Flesh. That's why a lot of people don't have victory. That's why you're mad. That's why you're angry, bitter, offended. That's why you have fear, panic, depression, and darkness. Is because we're sowing to the flesh. If we'll stop sowing to the flesh, repent of that, and turn to God and begin to sow to the Spirit, we'll see God move in our lives. 
Amen. Abstain from anything that influences you. Under the influence. God doesn't want you to be under the influence of anything worldly or demonic. God doesn't want you to be under the influence of anything worldly or demonic. God's called you to a higher purpose. God's called you to walk under the influence of the Holy Ghost. You have to choose who's going to influence you. Is it going to be God and the Spirit of God, or is it going to be the world and the demons that are infesting this world? You're going to be influenced by one or the other. Every person's influenced by one or the other. But you can't ride both, both fences. You've got to be on one side or the other. Grass is not greener on the other side. God said, I put before you life and death, blessing and curses. And he tells you which one to choose. But know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is a line in the middle that you can't ride down. Jesus will spew you out of his mouth. He said, if you're neither hot nor cold, you are what he calls lukewarm. And he will spew you out of his mouth. So therefore, we can say on the authority of the word of God, you cannot ride the middle road. You have to be right with God or right with the world, but you can't do both. How is it that the world can get along with us, but it couldn't get along with Jesus? It says in John chapter 7 that the world crucified Jesus because he testified that the world was evil. Do you testify that the world's evil? Or do you give the world the pat on the back, the shoulder to cry on? Oh, I know, God's so mean. I know, God's so mean. And those people that follow God, they're so mean. I mean, they're so rigid. They won't, they, they, they won't just compromise just a little bit. They won't lower the standard just a little bit. They keep that standard so high. Who do they think they are? Well, God's standard is high, isn't it? And He's calling you to come up to His standard. In these last days, God says that the end of all things is at hand, and he's calling on the church to get sober. Why do you think that God's calling on the church to get sober in the last days? Ask yourself this. Why is God calling on the church to get sober in the last days? You know why? Because the world influences the church today more than ever. The closer we get to the last days, the more the world is going to be influencing the church. You look at the church today, some churches will sing secular music, some churches will do this and do that. They've got all kinds of secular activities in the church. Why? Because the world is influencing the church. Jesus said if he didn't come back soon enough, even the very elect would be deceived. There's coming a deception on the earth, and it's already started in the church. Many people today are believing that they can serve God and mammon at the same time. But don't we always say, you can't serve two masters? Can you serve two masters? Or is G did Jesus lie? Did you figure out a way to do it? Did you figure out a way to do it? Did anybody figure out a way to do it? No, because Jesus is not a liar, is it? God's not a man that he should lie. Amen. What Jesus said is the truth. We can't serve two masters. We have to choose the one in whom we'll serve. We have to choose the one in whom we love. Notice he says here about sobriety. Many people today are under the influence of not the Holy Spirit, but an evil spirit. He says also to watch 
under prayer. I want to tell you this. The watching under prayer will keep you from going into a panic. You look at the news today and you look at all the worldly events and you look at maybe a doctor's report and you look at your retirement and you look at all these things, panic will set in. You know why? Because whenever your eyes drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not have peace. You'll have panic. The way to peace is prayer. But you see, the the enemy knows that, and he will do everything he can do to keep you from prayer. Now, I want to tell you, I don't know when the last time is that you knelt down before an altar. I don't know when the last time is that you got down on your face before God. You might say, well, I can't get on my knees, Pastor. Well, you can get on your knees in your heart. Maybe you can't get on your knees physically, but you can get on your knees in your heart. When was the last time you poured out your heart and your soul before God? When was the last time you shed tears before God? Do your tear ducts work? If our tear ducts don't work, that's one thing. But if our tear ducts work, surely we can shed tears before God. He is God Almighty. He says, watch unto prayer. What this is telling us here is the watching that he's talking about is to not be moved by the issues of life but keep ourselves still before God in prayer. If you don't do this in the last days, you'll panic. I told you this because I'm telling you this for a reason. Things are not going to get better. Things are not going to level out. Spiritually, things will get worse. If you take the mark of the beast, yeah, things will level out all the way to hell. Take the mark of the beast, you won't have to worry about food anymore. You won't have to worry about not being able to pay your bills because you don't have money anymore. You see, things will level out in the wrong way. But for those that are holding on, those that are enduring, those that are walking righteously before God, things are not going to get better. All the way up until the trumpet sounds, it's going to be a bumpy ride. That's why God's telling us beforehand, watch, watch. The end of all things is at hand. I don't know that it's coming tomorrow. I'm not prophesying that, but I know it's at hand. It could be another 200 years for all we know, but I do know this. It's going to get bumpier till we get there. And because of that, God's given us a precious promise. Get ready. The end of all things is at hand. Be sober. Be sober. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let the lies of the enemy influence you. Don't let a bad report influence you. Don't let other people influence you. Be influenced by one voice alone, the voice of God. Be still and know that he's God. You don't even have to listen to me. How about that? That might make some of y'all happy. You don't have to listen to me. I don't care. But you need to listen to God. You better be still and know who He is. You better be still and know His voice. Because your soul matters to God. And your soul's going to spend eternity somewhere. And God loves you so much that He took every, everything that was separating you from Him. And He nailed it to His own cross. He bore it in His own body. He shed His own blood. To remove every hindrance. 
because God loves you so much. He did that. And he's calling on you to abstain from every worldly influence so that you can be influenced by God. You cannot have it both ways. You can't listen to the, vo- to the report of the devil and listen to the report of God and thread the needle. See, whenever God sent the, the nation of Israel out, Moses, he sent out the 12 spies into the land. Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. Ten of them came back with a bad report. Two of them had a good report. You know that there's always going to be more voices lended to the world than to God. Jesus said there's many that go to destruction. Wide is the path to destruction. Many go therein. But narrow is a path to life. And few go in. You see, it's always been that way. And it'll always be that way. But ten voices... Got a bad report from the promised land. I want you to think about it with me. Quote, unquote, promised land. Who promised it? God. God promised it. It's God endorsed. It's God endorsed. God promised it to Israel. And he sent them out to the quote, unquote, promised land. And when they went to the promised land, the enemy was just too big. They got a bad report. And their bad report outweighed the good report of the two. Can I tell you something? A lot of people today, a lot of people today are more influenced by bad reports than good reports. But if you're influenced by bad reports, this is what you got to do. You got to stop. You got to get sober before the Lord and you got to watch unto prayer. Amen. You got to watch under prayer. Turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 21 real quick. Luke chapter 21. We're going to move down to verse number 31. 34. How about that? Luke 21. Let's start with verse number 34. It says, take heed to yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, which means excess. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unaware. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass to stand before the Son of Man. You see, God's telling you here to watch always because there's coming a day that everything's going to be done. And the enemy is using the world and the cares of the world, the surfeiting and the drunkenness that comes with it as a snare for your soul. God, God, listen, God's not done with you. If God was done with you, you'd be in heaven. So understand this. God's not done with you. Neither is the devil. Neither is the devil. The devil's not done with you. The devil still wants to destroy your life. 
He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the devil's not done with you. You're not in a place to where you're, you're just, you know, obsolete from the devil's voice. Obsolete from the devil's deception. You're not in that place. You won't be in that place till you get to heaven. So you have to know and understand there's an enemy out there setting snares for your soul. God loves you, so he's telling you about it. God loves you, so he's telling you about it. He's telling you right here. He said, don't, listen, don't be deceived. Verse 34 says, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. The word take heed means when something begins to go out, bring it back in. When something begins to go out, bring it back in. So take heed to yourselves. Now turn back with me. Let's go back over there to 1 Peter chapter 4 real quick. Let's go back over there to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is where we were. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The next verse of Scripture says this, And above all things. It's kind of unique how God pairs these things up. You need to pay attention when God pairs these things up. Look at what he says. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. i tell you something. How many of you remember the Lord's Prayer? One of the, my favorite parts, forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that are debted toward us. See, one of the things that hinders a lot of believers in the last days is offense. Offense. Offense is a snare. Offense is when you have more vested in your pride, your dignity, your name, your respect, your way, your vision, your truth. Pride comes. It's a snare. But I want you to know the enemy will use anything he can to distract you and divide the church. And he will get you offended if need be to get you off target. The enemy will highlight grievances. You know what a grievance is? They tell you at some jobs, file a grievance if you need to. File a grievance if you need to. Have you filed a grievance against another member of the church? Maybe you need to file it before God instead of taking it out on them. See, one of the things that we see here in the Scripture, it says that charity, now that's a King James word for love, charity shall cover what? Multitude of sins. Do you mean that God will forgive someone else's sin because of you loving them? No, that's not what it means. It means when they sin against you. This is not, this is not talking about another person getting their sins expunged because of something you do. No, it's not it at all. God is saying he's calling upon you to display charity or love when someone does something against you. Charity covers someone's sin. Charity says, you know what? I'm sure they didn't mean it like that. 
And someone says, no, they, they definitely meant it like that. Charity says, well, bless their heart. They just don't know me. No, no, they know you. They really know you. And Charity says, well, maybe they'll get to know me better. You know, Charity just keeps giving the benefit of the doubt. You know that God gave you charity? The Bible says God so loved you that he sent his only son to the earth to die on the cross for you. And charity looks at someone else and what they've done to you. Charity looks at them and overlooks the fault. Charity looks at them and overlooks the fault. You know... I know when the Holy Spirit's beginning to work, and I want to ask you tonight, if you'll just begin to ask the Lord, is, if there's somewhere in your life where someone's done something to you, and maybe you should have overlooked it instead of highlighted it. You know what I mean by highlight it? Sometimes people take things to Facebook, but they, they third-person it a little bit. Someone called me a this. Someone forgot to thank me. Someone, you know, if you're one of those people that doesn't thank me, I just want to tell you. Take your grievances to the Lord. Take your burdens to the Lord. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle problems. And the wrong way to handle a problem is to highlight a grievance. Here in this verse, God's calling us to use charity to cover one another's faults. Come on now. Use charity to cover one another's faults. Did somebody hurt your feeling? Did somebody do you wrong? Did somebody forget your birthday? Did somebody not call you? Did somebody not write you? Did somebody not smile at you? Did somebody just not appreciate you? Can I tell you something with all the love, tender, and care of a pastor? Stop thinking about yourself. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Crucified. The flesh is supposed to be crucified. But as long as you pump up the flesh, it's going to cause problems. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. It's what Jesus said. How can you take up your cross and still have your flesh? It's not possible. It's not possible. One of the things I believe that the Lord wants us to get a hold of in this message tonight is this charity, this concept of, of charity. How many of you know what a, a charitable gift is? Or you've heard of a charity before? A charity just simply means it's the love of God so overflowing that you begin to pour out goodness and grace and mercy on others. You see, it starts with knowing who God is. It starts with you being still and knowing who God is. And the more that you know Him, you'll begin to swell up with love in your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the love of God in your life, it's because you don't have the Holy Ghost. But if you've got the love of God in your life, you need to begin to walk in that love. Charity is the overflow of God's love toward you reaching out to others. That's what the King James means with charity. 
When someone, you know, we use like the Salvation Army or something else as charity. Just drop in a five, drop in a quarter, drop in a dollar. I'm giving to charity. No, you're giving out of what you think is duty or obligation. Charity comes from a place of knowing that God loved you when you were unlovable. God sought you when you were unworthy. God looked upon you when the world had rejected you. And God came and gave you mercy when the world had trampled you down and spit you out. God found you. He sought you. He bought you. And he saved you. And mercy, as the song says, rewrites our life. And then that love, as you begin to know that, as you begin to be still and know who God is, that love begins to overflow out of your life and it will touch others. And you know, the same way that you sinned against God, when someone sins against you, you just say, oh, bless their heart. Oh, bless their heart. See, sometimes we just get too much in our feelings. We get too much in our feelings and we need to take our flesh back to the cross and let that flesh stay crucified unto the Lord. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, present yourselves, present your bodies a living sacrifice because that sacrifice needs to stay on that altar. Amen. Charity, as I said, is the love of God bursting out of you onto others where you're not caring so much about what they've done against you. Amen. This is what charity is. Uh, turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at charity real quick, and I'm going to take you one more place. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hallelujah. This is how important charity is to God. Charity is far more valuable to God than what you do, what you've done, or what your gift is. How many of you know God's got a gift for you? The Holy Ghost got a gift for you. Amen? He gives severally to every person a gift for the, for the edification of the church. But God, God first has to do a work in our hearts. It says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. A lot of people don't understand tongues, but it's not only known languages. There's an angelic language. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. God's not saying that tongues are a sounding brass. He's saying tongues without charity is a sounding brass. God loves when his people sing his praises. God loves when his people speak in tongues. God loves when his people pray in the Holy Ghost. But it's all worthless without charity, is what he's saying. Verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. How's that for a positive affirmation? You've got faith. You've got faith. You can remove mountains. But if you don't have the love of God swelling up on the inside, in other words, let's correlate these verses together. If we're not willing to forgive someone else, if we're not willing to overlook their failures, if we're not willing to overlook their faults, if we're not willing to overlook Someone else's bad day. Maybe you just don't like them. How many of you know someone like that? They just rub you the wrong way. 
Maybe you just don't like them. But if you're not willing to show them the love of God, it doesn't matter how spiritually gifted you are if you're not willing to overlook their fault. And it says in the next verse, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Hey, we have a food pantry. How about a martyr? He gives his life to be burned. We can do all the works. We can do all the things that need to be done. But if we're not doing it out of an overflowing charitable heart, if we're not doing it because God's been good to us and we're willing, not only willing, we must overlook the faults of others. Then, as he says there, it profits us nothing. You know that we could feed the world? Maybe we have a, a grain silo bigger than the Great Pyramid, and we've got enough food for the whole world. We got people lined up from here to Timbuktu, and we can feed the whole world. If we're not willing to overlook someone else's fault, it profits us nothing. That's what the Bible says. And it all goes back to the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord brought it right down into forgiving us our debts because we're willing to forgive others. And this charity, I believe God's looking for. There's a reason why God ties these things together in 1 Peter chapter 4. You know why? Because the enemy is setting snares for the church. In the last days, he ties these things together. In the last days, he said, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober. Watch in the prayer. And then he starts talking about love, charity, covering one another's sins. Why? Because the enemy is setting traps for your soul to get you to focus and highlight a grievance against others. You know, Peter had this opportunity, a man, uh, Simon the sorcerer, he tried to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter. Give me this gift so that whoever I lay hands on, right, can receive the Holy Ghost. This man had bitterness in him, and Peter rebuked him, and Peter said, there's a root of bitterness in you. See, bitterness will grow in you, if, and it, it shows whenever you're not willing to forgive someone. Last place I want to take you to is 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We were in 1 Peter 4. Let's move over to 1 Peter 5. We're going to pick up the same theme of sobriety again in verse number 8. Be sober. Verse number 8, 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The word here, vigilant, means keep awake. Keep awake. Be sober, be vigilant, means stay awake where you're not influenced from the world. Stay where you're not influenced from the things of life and be vigilant. The word vigilant means keep awake. Keep awake. You know, a lot of people today are not awake. A lot of people today are not awake. They're under the influence of the enemy. 
And instead of watching under prayer, they're in a panic. They're under pressure. They're into politics. But the Lord is pleading with our souls today. The Lord is pleading with our souls today to come to Him and ask Him to do a work in us that we may remain sober in the last days. The enemy's desire is to set a snare. The word snare means trap. It's King James for trap. The, the enemy's desire is to set a trap for your soul. And one of the easiest ways he can set a trap for your soul is to get you to be mad at somebody. If your enemy, if your enemy is in flesh, if your enemy has a social security number, <laughs> right, it's not your enemy. The devil's your enemy. And if he can get you to get bitter at somebody, if he can get you to get mad at somebody, if he can get you to hate somebody, he's got you. That's how he gets people. And he's seeking to, to, to destroy people. And one of the things that the Lord calls you to do is to be vigilant and be sober. Because your adversary is looking for someone to devour. And he devours many people through getting them bitter at one another, unwilling to use charity to overlook their faults and their failures. Let's say it like this. Not everybody's as good as you. Not everybody's as great as you. Not everybody does it as good as you. But you're still called to love them. You're still called to love them. You're still called to overlook their faults. You're still called to overlook their failures. You're still called to operate in grace because God's done a work in you. And God wants to do a work in them. Amen? How many of you are willing for, for God to do a work in you so that God can do a work in them? Amen? God wants to do a work in them. God wants to do a work in them. And He'll use you to do it. I believe this is God giving us wisdom for the generation we live in. We live in a wicked generation. We live in an ungodly generation. And we live in a generation where people's hearts are getting full of the wrong spirit. One of the most important things we can do is let bygones be bygones. Forgive those that trespass against us. Don't hold on to grievances. Hold on to Jesus. Let charity overrun you because grace has washed you clean. Tonight, if God's dealing with you tonight, I want you to know that he loves you and he cares for you. And he brought this word just for you because he doesn't want you to be distracted or divided in the last days. God doesn't want you to be distracted or divided in the last days. God wants you to come. God wants you to come. This, this evening, if you would pray with me, we're going to close right here and give you an opportunity to come to the altar if you need to. Father, I bless you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, thank you for each and every person that's here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the message that's gone forward tonight. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for a people that love you and want to draw near to you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to see you do a work in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to do that work in our lives even this very night. Lord, we ask that you would set us on the right path. If we could, as that Psalm 46 says, be still and know that you are God.
Lord, we ask tonight that you would search our hearts. Try us. See if there be anything in us where their unforgiveness is harbored. Maybe things didn't go according to our plan. And you're showing us even this very night, Lord, that we need to let go. We need to let go of failures. We need to let go of frustrations. We need to let go of pride. And we need to know you and know that you're God. Lord, I ask tonight as we open these altars that you would bless, that you would bless beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would bring a refreshing, that you would bring a a work of restoration, Lord, to the souls that are willing to come and pray at these altars tonight. Lord, do a work of restoration in us. Lord, help us to not be distracted. So many people tonight, Lord, we've been distracted. We've been up and we've been here and there. Our thoughts have run here and there. Lord, right now, right now, Lord, do a work in us. Do a work of restoration. Lord, every soul that comes, I pray that you would refresh them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to open up our altars right now, give you an opportunity to come to the Lord. And let the Lord do what He needs to do in you. God can do in you what no man can. God can do in you what you can't do. If you've been under pressure, if you've been in a panic, maybe you've just been filled, 